Step four, part two, with Joe McHugh, made a searching and furious moral inventory of ourselves. Part B. Tonight we are at step four, in which we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We started out and we did the first part of the inventory last week, and maybe this week we can go through the other two sections of the inventory. And to get down, each week we do a slight review, and tonight we will do a review. Uh, we start out with what is the problem. And that is the first step to recovery. This is the first information that we gather in solving a problem. What is the problem? We're talking about solving the problem of alcoholism. And as we go through the first step, we find that the problem is that we're powerless. Powerless. And it explains in the doctor's opinion of, in the front of our big book that we're powerless over alcohol. Our lives have become unmanageable. And the doctor's opinion explains for the first time the real nature, the exact nature of the problem. Now it says we have a twofold problem. We have a physical problem. It is a disease, number one. And this is disease that affects the body and the mind. You know, most, most illnesses are or affect the body or the mind. Now, alcoholism, he said, is any discussion of this which leaves out the physical factor is incomplete because I'm sure in this case the body is sickened as well as the mind. And he, he talks about this physical part of our illness as a physical allergy. Uh, we are abnormal drinkers. Uh, uh, we are abnormal when it comes to the, the drug alcohol. And I never really, I knew it was something wrong with me, but I didn't know I was an abnormal drinker. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I drank alcohol for 16 years and I didn't know that I was drinking abnormally because the way I drank was normal for me. You know, I, I drank one way. I took a drink, one another I drank. Well, that when I had a, every time I took a drink, I experienced this craving and it was normal for me to experience this. So I didn't know that I was abnormal. And I drank with a lot of other abnormal drinkers that drank like me. But I found out when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous that, that I was an abnormal drinker. When I took a drink of alcohol, something occurred in, in me that did not occur to the average temperate drinker. When I took a drink of alcohol, I experienced a physical craving for another drink. And this craving would make me reach for another drink. And the more I drank, the more I would crave. I would continue to build and I'll continue to drink and, and I would all, and alcohol would almost, every time I drank, I had some minor or some kind of problem in my life. My life became unmanageable. So, uh, I found out when I come to alcohol, I was abnormal. And Dr. Silkworth all, all went on further with this. He said there's no known treatment for this except the only thing we can just suggest is, is total abstinence. If you don't take the first drink, you won't have that problem. That's, that, now that was too simple for me. You know what I mean? I wanted something more complicated. If you don't take the first drink, you will never experience the craving of alcohol. But the, that, wasn't, that was just part of my problem. My main problem was in the mind. My main problem was this mental obsession. The idea that overcame all other ideas. 
When I did drink, I had an obsession. I had, I had a lot of things that go on in my life. The doctor said that I was restless and irritable and discontent. And I could add some long list of a lot of things. I, I was lonely. And I was full of self-pity, you know, remorse and guilt of things that I'd done in the past. And these things would eat at me constantly. And, and, and then finally, at a certain point, you know, I would remember the sense of needs and comfort. I remember how great uh, I could take a few drinks and these things would go away. I would remember that. And then I would say, oh, no, but I can't drink because I got in trouble last time. But your mind said, oh, but it make you feel so good. And, and the, the sense and ease and comfort would overcome all the ideas that I couldn't drink. The idea that I could drink would overcome the idea that I couldn't. And I would reach over. This obsession would make me take a few drinks. And as soon as I took a few drinks, those few drinks would trigger the craving in my body. And the craving would make me take another drink and another drink. And I would go through the well-known spree and I'd get in a lot of trouble. As soon as I got out of trouble, I would go around for a few days, a few weeks, <laughs> and i say, I'm through with that stuff. And the thing, same, the, the, this thing would build up again, the obsession would be triggered again, and I would reach over and take a few drinks. So this vicious cycle was setting, and I was really, you know, I was in a trap. And I really didn't know the exact nature of the trap I was in. And I think I'm very blessed as an alcoholic because most alcoholics will, will die or become a, a victim of the disease of alcoholism before they even realize what's going on in their lives. But once we see this, that we're powerless, then the second step talks about a solution. There is a solution to this problem and quite obviously, if your problem is powerless, it's from this, this, this first step that we extract the second step. This is why we have to have the first step. We have to have the information of the first step in order to find the second step. If your problem is powerless, then your solution will come from over here. Your solution will be power, obviously. And since we don't know anything about the physical allergy to alcohol, then this, the power would have to probably work within the mind. And he talks about if this power, by the use of this power, if we could bring about some personality changes, fishing to recover. You know, we wasn't restless, nervous, and discontent. We wouldn't feel full of guilt, remorse, and shame all the time. Then we would, would never have to remember the sense and ease and comfort that would come at once by taking a few drinks. Therefore, we would never take the first drink. And if we never took the first drink, we would never set off the physical craving in our bodies. So we believe that the solution is in the mind. Therefore, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. We can become, to become whole, what sanity means. Now, if, if this is a problem and this is the solution, then the main purpose, the main proposition here then is, is obvious. You know, if the problem is powerless and the solution is power, then the main thing would be how do we, how to find that power. 
How do we find that power? You know, that's the main purpose of the program. So we have 10 steps, a little 10-step program left. We have steps 3 through 12, which is a plan to find that power. Uh, and it, it never fails. It says, you know, we've never seen anybody that, that give us these directions or suggestions what we look at. And if we would take these steps, then these steps will produce that power which is within, which will solve the problem. So we began the recovery program or the process at step three when we made a decision. And, uh, you know, as we said, the first two steps uh, brought us into step three, and the step three was to decide which of these we wanted. Decision means to cut facts in two. And once we, uh, we obviously, uh, between the two, we took the power. We made a decision to turn our will and our eyes over the care of this guy as we understand. Now we had to go to work in the next step, step four, to carry out this decision. And the next step, uh, after step three is to to find the things within us that block us off from this power. Now we alcoholics are, our book said we are selfish, we are selfish and self-centered people. Uh, what that really means, I guess, we just really screwed up. You know, that's what it really means. You know. uh, we, we alcoholics, uh, we're full of self. Uh, my friend Mel was talking to Shared something last night. I'd have to share this with you. I, I, everything, everything is nothing is original for me. And he was telling me today, last night, we were talking about this Amish poem. He, uh, it just really struck me. It sure, it sure fits us as alcoholics. And this guy, uh, this old Amish, he was praying. He was praying to God, and he said something to God. Uh, it seems like everything in this world is, is strange, except me and thee. And sometimes, God, thee a little. <laughs> I love that. That's the way it looked to me all the time. Uh, but as we, uh, you know, what is within us that blocks us off from God? And then, you know, to us, at times, we say God doesn't exist. It's seemingly like in the alcoholic's life that there is no God. And God does not exist because there's so much within us that totally, totally blocks us from, from, from the great creator of this universe. The whole thing that we're shut off from it by the things that are within us. So this decision, step three, is just a decision to do this. Now we have to go to work to identify these things that block us off. They're keeping us from carrying out the decision in step three. And we begin the inventory process, as we did last week. And it's very simple, if we look at the big book on, on what the inventory is all about. The inventory is to identify the things within us. And our grosser handicaps is what we're going to start with. The things that block us off from God. You know, God is within each and every human being. And he's going to have to work through our minds and into our lives. And the only way, and the only way God can, God cannot come into our minds because our minds are filled with a lot of garbage. God can't direct a mind that's full of resentment, full of fear, full of conflict with other people.
But we made this decision. Now we got to go to work to take an inventory. We're going to look within our minds. That's ourselves. Because today I am what I think. In fact, I can be no more than the thoughts that go through my mind. That scares me sometimes. But I can be no more than the thoughts that go through my mind. So what, what, and it talks about a stock in trade. We're going to inventory the stock in trade. We're going to inventory me. We're going to inventory our lives. We're going to inventory the thoughts that we try to come through our minds each day. And we're going to look, we're going to fool ourselves about values. And we're going to see which of these things we're going to give away. We're going to get out of the way. We're going to identify the unsellable items. And we're going to make room as we remove these things, we're going to make room to carry out this decision because when we remove, remove some of these things, then God can come in and occupy that, that part of our minds and direct our lives. So the first thing we did, we talked about resentments. And this was our number one offender. And it said we were to put a, to list all of our resentments. And that was easy enough to do. You know, we, uh, we alcoholics, uh, we, re we, we, we play these things over and over in our minds. We talked about them last week. And the first thing we do, we list the name of people, principles, and institutions that, that we resent. Just put them all down. And we're looking at them now. This is a very simple process. One, two, three, four. List every person, every, every institution, every principle we resent. And we go completely down that list. If we have a list that we're going to write it out, you know, if you've got 20 or 100 or 50, just put them all down. You know, if you got, just, you know, just put down the name. Until you completely empty your mind of everybody you resent. And that's simple enough to do. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a genius to do this. You know, anybody can do this inventory process. Then after we get that list filled out, then we come to the second list. And maybe I'll, this is the best way to look at it. After we complete this list, then we put in the second column, cause. Why do I resent number one? Why do I, and then you go, so you, you'll go down, put it number one, and then you go, why do I resent number two? Why do I resent number three? Why do I resent number four? You go down this list from top to bottom, then you go down this list from top to bottom, never going across. Now, it's from the first list, and this is why it was important, that we put down all of our resentments. Because once we got all the names down, it's from the names that, from this column, that we extract the second column. See, the second column comes from the first column. The cause comes from the name. And then once we get this column down, then we put in the third column, kind of running out of space here. Which part of self did the cause strike? Did that person threaten my self-esteem? That's the social instinct. Or did he threaten the, my security instinct? Or did he threaten my sex life? One of those had to be threatened by what he did in order for me to have a resentment. So it's from the cause, we, from this column, we direct, we, from the first column, we get the second column, 
And when we trace the second column, we get the third column. The third column comes from the second column. So one column is giving you the next column. Now this is what we were going to get really get down to because remember we made a decision to turn our will over our lives over care of God. We understood Him, and it says self was the root of our problems. So it's through this process we have found what's within ourselves. You know what I mean? We have, we've gotten down to really to the, to the exact nature of the problem. And then once we get this column, then we go to fourth column. Which character defect within me actually? that caused this. And we will find out, you know, if we will, with honesty, that each, res each thing that, re each resentment, we played a role in it. You know, I had played resentments over and over many times in my life. And I resented people. And I always talked about what they did. And they did do something. But I had replayed that over and over and over so much that I had really, I'd never been able to see the truth of it. Because I had, rationalized in my mind what they had did over and over to me and never one time in my life had I ever looked at my what I had to do with this. And in very honestly, it was astonishing that in each resentment, nowhere did anybody ever come up and do something to me. I had always set the ball rolling, but I had never looked at them. So we go down, we find out, you know, in this case, you know, was I was in my selfishness, well, it's my dishonesty. Uh, something part of my character actually set this ball to rolling. And I, we, we played a role in each of these resentments. So in, in this fourth column, we, we mark what role did I play in this? And we can look at the third column, and we can develop the fourth column. So if we have completed this, then we have really listed, not only listed, this is listing our resentments, but these three columns here is analyzing it. We have listed and analyzed each three resentment. For the first time, we get the true picture. Now, if I don't get rid of these character defects over here, obviously, you know, these are the things, if I don't get rid of these, these, are gonna, these things are gonna always occur. But if I can get rid of these, regardless of what people do, I will not have a resentment. And this is why we talk about being free. Because as long as I'm living with these resentments and having these and, and living like this, then these people are controlling my life. So if we have done that, we have uh, analyzed and we at this point we were all the fears that we had, the, the I mean the resentments that we had should be gone. So, you know, God can we have made a decision that to make God the director of our lives. So this area of our minds, he cannot come in and occupy. You know, there's no void. And as we remove these things, then God can direct our mind. God can direct the mind when it's full of resentment. It blocks us off from the sunlight of the spirit. We're blocked off from God. There each from the moment that we have a resentment. But after he finishes resentments on page uh, 67 of my book, he said, notice the word fear, which is bracketed along the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones' employer, and my wife. This short, word, this short word somehow touches every aspect of our lives, and it does. Fear is a, a part of our life. You know, we couldn't live one day without fear. Fear plays a major part in our relationships. It plays a major part in our 
just being here tonight, you know, uh, there's no way that uh, one of us could survive throughout the day without fear. It takes, it takes caution to drive your car, which is a form of fear. Um, it takes fear to cross the street. You know, we abuse fear all day long. In fact, none of us could have a great, uh, we couldn't even have a good relationship. Right tonight, if we took fear out of this audience, it would be chaos. For one thing, everybody in here would tell the other one what he thought about it. And that, would, that wouldn't be good, would it? <laughs> that really wouldn't be good, would it? <laughs> so fear is a part of our lives. You know, uh, I never really understood it. I understood, you know, you know we, we, uh, we men, we are machos. You know, we're not supposed to have it. Now, it's natural now, but you're not supposed to have it. When I was a kid, they told me growing up, I don't know how I was. You know, I got one night probably. They say, you shouldn't be scared of the dark. You're grown now. You know I mean? And now I really got a problem. At first I was scared of the dark. Now I got another fear. I ain't supposed to have it, so I can't tell them I got it. So, <laughs> so they really created a problem for me. So, but it is a part of our lives. It is a... Fear plays a useful role, like resentment. Fear protects us. You know, it, uh, it, it produces a caution to slow us down to, to get into things. Uh, fear is a vital part of our lives, up to a certain point, and then it becomes destructive. Then it becomes destructive, and nobody's perfect with it. So it's a part of our lives, but then how do we control it? Just, I'll use the illustration all the time about I have some negative. Fear is a negative indicator that probably should trigger some actions in you. When a negative indicator goes off, that means you need to take some actions. I just like uh, on your automobile, on my automobile, I have some red lights on the dashboard. And they are negative indicators. And when one of those red lights come on, uh, says the engine is hot, then that means I have to stop get some water or do something about it to keep from destroying the engine. They really protect the car. And when the negative indicator comes on, there's certain actions that you need to take. Now, but if this negative indicator is, is out of whack and it's coming on and there's nothing, nothing wrong, then that's, that's a problem for you. It's false. It's projecting false things and you're reacting to something that has nothing to do. And this is what happens with the alcoholic. His red lights just come on all the time. You know? And he drives his car down the street. Now, you know, most people drive the car down the street looking out the windshield. He drives the car down the road looking at the red lights. <laughs> <laughs> and we alcoholics, and it's a time in our lives we've been driven by these things. And now it's time to stop and list these fears and analyze them and see if they're real. Because we're reacting to them whether they're real or false. They're dominating our lives. For the first time, we're going to look at them and see if they're real. And this is what the process of the inventory is all about. And to do that, we have to get them down on paper, list and analyze them. And so I had to list and analyze these fears. And he tells us exactly in the big book, if we study our book, how to do this. 
very simple process in the big book. He said, we reviewed our fears and we put them on paper. You know, we put down the things we were fearful of. Just make a list, you know. I fear, uh, you know, uh, the internal revenue and uh, whatever we fear. You know, we fear a lot of things, you know. Uh, our boss, our other people, institutions. Um, and, and this lists everything that we fear. And this, this, and this if it, we're not going to try to figure out why, we just put them down, all the fears that we have. And once we complete this, then we have a list of the things, people, principles, institutions that we fear. Then we come to the next column and we put down the cause. You know, why do I fear that? And if we don't know, just put out, I don't know. You know, we're going to try to analyze ourselves. So I fear that because my mother set me on the pot back, which, you know, we're not going to try to <laughs> psychoanalyze ourselves. Just put out, I don't know. A lot of these fears, we don't know why we got it. You know, just put them down. Like I said, I, I fear high places. I said, hell, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's natural. You ain't got no wings. <laughs> You're supposed to, fear, supposed to fear high places. <laughs> okay. So the next thing, we come to the third column. Now, this is very revealing. This is why we could self. And we said self is made up of our social instincts. Remember that. Now, you know, our, our self-esteem, our personal relationships, our prides, our companionship, which make up our social instincts. Self is made up also of our security instincts, the second column, and the, the all S's, by the way. That's very peculiar. Social security sex, I don't really go. But then our security instincts, materially and emotionally. Now, then we have our sex instinct. Now, in order for us to have a fear, it's real simple. In order for me to have a fear, the cause, one of the fear has to affect one part of self. Does it threaten my self-esteem? Or does it threaten my security, my material security? I have a lot of fear. Or my emotional security? Or does it threaten my sex life? It has to threaten one of these in order for me to have fear. So with which part of self was threatened? And we checked, we checked the cause and the cause produced, and we put an X in here, whichever part, and sometimes it's a combination, which part of self was threatened? This is why we have this fear. And then we go to ourselves. Then we come to our character defect, column four. What, which character defect within us is it has a play in this fear. Is it was it dishonesty? You know, a lot of times the things I feared, you know, say I in fear the the IRS. We all do. <laughs> because I cheated on my tax return, right? Which part what which which part of a self caused this? Well, material security. You know, I wanted it. I wanted that money. Which character defect was involved? Dishonesty. <laughs> okay. So I had this fear all my life. But did not I set the ball rolling? If it wasn't for the character defect, I wouldn't have had this, this wouldn't have happened, and I would have never had the fear. 
So he didn't I set the ball to roll? I found in most of the fears, the main problem was right over here in the carpenter thing. This was a thing that, that I had feared all my life. And the same way we said in resentment, there's certain people over here on our resentment list that we resented, and we found out after we saw that our role was involved of dishonesty, we actually owe these people an amends. And the same way about the IRS. Instead of me fearing them, I owe them amends for my dishonesty. And, you know, and we look at that in a different light. And we'll find out as we go down this list and make this list, we'll find out that most of step eight, a lot of the lists on step eight is going to be the same things with the fears. These are going to be things that, that, that we were involved in. He said, we reviewed our fears thoroughly, put them on paper. We asked ourselves why we had them. It's the second column. And it wasn't because self-reliance failed us. You know, and so which part of self was involved? And we go through these things and analyze them. And he said, you know, after we have done these things and analyzed these things, we get rid of most of these fears. And then we have fears that seem to stay, just like the resentment, some of those deep-seated resentments. And he tells us how to get rid of those in our book. He says, you know, we, we trust God. We never apologize for God. We let him demonstrate through us what he can do. And then we have these prayers that stay. He said, we pray about them. We ask him to remove our fear and to direct our attention to what he would have us be. And once we commence to outgrow fear. Now we hear about the, the other prayers, the prayers in step three and the prayers in step seven. But there's another prayer in step four. There's a prayer on resentment. There's a prayer on fear. He said if we have fears, we ask God to remove them. And it says that once we were out more fear. So we have completed step, the, the first part, the, the resentment part, and now the fear, we have listed and analyzed our fears. We have analyzed most of them out in the ones that stay. We prayed and removed them. So at this point in the inventory, we have gotten rid of our resentments. We have gotten rid of our fears. And we're carrying out that decision called we're making room for God to come into our life. Then the final part of our book, he says, Elias Indicator. He says, how about sex? Well, we love this part. Many of us need an overhaul in there. Boy, and I always tell the older fellas, don't get your hopes up. We're not talking about what you think I'm talking about. <laughs> We're talking about mental, not physical. We can't overhaul there. If we did, we'd have a bigger crowd tonight. <laughs> okay. And here people get off into all kind of, you know, we, we, if you bring this subject up, golly, in the modern times, we know more about going to the moon than we know about saying. Everybody talks about it, don't nobody know about it. But sex is a, is a basic instinct that God gave man. He gave us a unique sex life. He gave us the, the ability to think, reason, and, and use our, you know, something that he didn't give the lower class of animals. The lower class of animals have, have, have uh, they, don't, they are really God-directed creatures. They don't really have choices like we do. And God gave them a simple sex life. God controls that when he's ready for them to reproduce. And usually it has to do with the time of year, right? 
He will have them made so that as, they, as the time of, takes place, so it will be born at a certain time of year, so the offspring will live in the spring, right? So at a certain time of year, God, uh, uh, the female comes in heat. The, the male just responds to that, and the sex act is brought on, and they recreate in the spring of the year. And, the, and other than that, they have no desire for sex. But God gave us the ability. He gave it to us. He gave man his own ability. He said, I'm going to give you this, man. This is, you're going to have the decisions in this. And this is a great problem. You know what I mean? Uh, we get the ability to think about it. That's the trouble. We think about it. Other animals don't. And it's, it's how to, and this is a part of every human life. It's one of the strongest drives in a human being. You know I mean? And this, and, the, and my book says, oh, we wouldn't be human if we didn't have sex problems. I did not know that. See, everybody's got sex problems. Even the people that say they don't have them got them. You know I mean? <laughs> See, I always thought a sex problem was, was something else different, you know what I mean? I always thought it was a physical thing. You know, when I first come to A, they said, yeah, you got a sex problem. I said, the hell I do. You know. <laughs> <laughs> See, but I didn't know what they were talking about. When they explained it to me, I said, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. But I didn't know anything about this. Here I am, you know, I thought I knew. I didn't know nothing about it. So sex is a part of our life. And this, is, this instinct is God-given. And, it, and it's really, we're not talking about the, we're not, we're, this book is not going get, to get into our sex life, really. Not to our sex conduct. It's not going to get into telling us what to do and what not to do. You know, this is not, it's not, it's not going to give rules. It says it wants us to look at our sex conduct of the past on an individual basis so that we can formulate, if we look at our past, we could formulate something better in the future. No, we want, that's all we want to do. And so it begins, it tells us on page 69, we reviewed our sex conduct over the past years. Uh, whom had I hurt? First come, who did I hurt? That's simple enough. Now, we might say, well, I had somebody, many of us have said, well, I really never did anything wrong sexually. Well, you might not hurt in anything physically wrong sexually, but all of us have aroused, because of the sex instinct probably, have aroused some jealousy, some bitterness, and some suspicion. Some suspicion. We have done some of those little things, right? All of us, every human being. No one's been perfect with this. You know, I uh, usually in a sex, I love to tell about one of my favorite stories about the young man who was going to get married, and he had a problem. They wanted to get married, and it was doing Lent, and he went to the priest, and the priest said, well, I can't marry you, it's doing Lent. And the, they said, Father, we want to get married bad, real bad. Said, well, I can't marry you unless you make some sort of supreme sacrifice. And they said, well, we'll do anything you say. They just wanted to get married. He said, well, uh, what kind of sacrifice you want to make? He said, we'll sacrifice anything. 
And the father said, well, how about sacrificing uh, sex at the, until the end of your, under the land? And he said, well, okay. So they volunteered to do that. And finally, a couple of weeks, uh, the father saw him downtown. He was talking to a young man. He said, Ray, hi, good to see you. He had married him, and uh, he was asking about the marriage and how they were doing. And the young man said, oh, we're doing fine, fine. And he says, how did your marriage life? I said, oh, it's beautiful. And he said, how did y'all do on that uh, uh, commitment? Uh, did you keep it? Is everything going all right? The sacrifice, are you doing all right? He said, Father, we, we had a little problem with that. He said, we were doing fine. Until finally my wife had one of those short mini skirts, and she dropped a can of peas on the floor, and she bent over to pick them up, and he said, I just couldn't go no further. He said, don't you know they don't put you out of church for that? He said, they put me out of the supermarket. You know. <laughs> you know, it's... Oh, no one, no one is immune from this. Okay, so we get these things, we, we go through this, and we put down, who did I hurt? Top to bottom. You know, and what we did, you know... Whatever we did wrong, maybe we made somebody by, but we offended somebody in some way. And we said, we put down um, the cause, uh, and then we put down which part of self caused us to do that. This is quite revealing. See, we went around with a lot of guilt and shame because of our sex conduct of the past. We feel we're really bad people. You know, for some reason, maybe we feel dirty. And I think we can get free from a lot of this by completing this inventory. We'll put these things down. And then we're going to come back to which part of self caused us to do that. And sometimes, you know, I think if it was a, a sexual wrong, we'd all assume real quick that it was caused by a sex instinct. You know, very, uh, very seldom that do we go out and do something just because of the sex drive? No, it's not sex. If we listen and analyze these, our sex conduct of the past, we're going to find out that most of, the, most of our difficulties, the things we've done, hurt other people, was not caused by sex. Most of it was caused by our social instincts. You know, we find out, you know, by... Uh, we, we, maybe we're just lonely. See me? Maybe it's loneliness. Uh, maybe we just want companionship. I mean, that's why we did it. Maybe it's our self-esteem. You know, we men, we get the idea, we, we grow up with the idea the more people the opposite sex as you can track, the better, bigger, macho guy you are. We build up our ego. It's an ego problem. It ain't a sex problem. Once we list and analyze. Sometimes it's caused by emotional security. Caused us to do that. And sometimes material security. Very seldom is it caused by sex. But for the first time, you know, if we listen and analyze these things, we get, you know, we're not, we find out we're not dirty people. We're not bad people. You know I mean? I've just been doing this to feel better to build, feel better about myself, trying to build up my ego, build up my self-esteem with this sort of thing. And when we do that, you know, we have less desires to do that, and it seems to go away. You now, step four, if done properly, it is to remove the things that block us off 
And, and as we, we went through our resentments in this way, listening and analyzing them out, we went through our fears, listening and analyzing them out, and went through our sex conduct in the past, seeing the real truth of it, worked our way through these things, most of these things are gone. You know, step four is a, is a powerful removing step. It's a step to begin and work into his life. Now, it, 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 it kind of makes a summary here, and we have done a lot. If we have been through our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. All three of these sheets are filled out. We have, we have and this is what we have listed, and, and we have listed and analyzed our resentments on the first sheet. And tonight, if we have went through fears, we have listed and analyzed our fears. And if we go through the sex conduct of the past, we have, we have listed and analyzed our sex conduct of the past, all three of these things. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We, if we have analyzed them, we can really comprehend them now. Where our trouble is coming from, why we are drinking. We have commenced to see their terrible destruction. If we have done it in this death, we have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill. You know, once these things are removed, something else comes in different. You know, once these things are removed, we're already now we begin to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. Remember our book says we're going to have a personality change sufficient to recover. This personality change was going to develop slowly as a result of these steps. Already after step four, we can see this personality change starting to develop right after step four. You think revolutionary change, the resentments is gone. Tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men. The opposite is coming in. Revolution means a complete turnaround. Already, we can see that. We have listed people we have hurt in by our conduct, our willing to straighten out the past. And if we have done this, we can see this is step four. And we talked about the things in self that made up self. We talked about this as step, these are step three. This is self. And over here, these things that we're going to talk about in five, six, seven, and we have made a list of the people we we're going to hurt. Some of these people on this list are the people we offended. So we got eight and nine over here. We got four here. We got three here. We got five, six, and seven here. And then we got eight and nine all on this sheet. If we have worked the inventory, like the big book says, we have all the information for steps five, six, seven, eight, and nine right on these three sheets. He said, in this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision, this is step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, and this is step four, and remember it says grosser. I think everybody... Uh, this is all we have to do is start off is looking at our grosser handicaps. Yeah, we got other handicaps. We're going to be working on these for the rest of our life. But all we want to do is start on our grosser handicaps. I think the greatest difficulty with step four is most people are trying to wait till they get well and then take step four. Now that's a, you know, we, you take the step to get well. You don't wait to get well to take the step. You just want to get the worst things, the grosser handicaps. 
That's all we got to do. You have made a good beginning. And being so, you have swallowed and ingested some big chunks of truth about yourself. So we have done step forward a bit, but we have found out a lot about ourselves. For the first time, we've got a glimpse. So this is our grosser handicaps. And also, we have learned the great process. Not only have we went through this and learned a lot about it, I learned something. I put something in my mind. I have learned in this process something that's been programmed into my mind. The rest of my life, when else a resentment comes up, by going through these sheets three times like this, going through the inventory process with three sheets, analyzing all these other things. Every day in my life when a resentment, when something comes up, I say, all I gotta do is say, oh, this is a resentment. Uh, what is the cause of it? Every day. You know, when it just and it comes up, I can immediately say, oh, I got a resentment. What's the cause of it? Which part of self did it hurt? Which character affected me was out of whack? And I can immediately wipe it out. See, I don't have to go around with playing 20 years no more. I can get them as they come up. Step four, not only analyze those of the past, but it gives me tools to get rid of all resentments on a daily basis, which we're talking to talk about in step 10 for the rest of my life. Now, we have completed step four at this point. We're ready to really now, things move along at this point because we've got the information for five, six, and seven. So next week, we'll start on to step five, and we'll move right on through step six and seven. Thank you.